Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.com or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here's Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello again, dear kinsfolk. This is Pastor Visser broadcasting once again for the final time on this Friday evening time slot. Indeed, you heard that correct, dear listener. I'm pleased to announce that we're going back to our normal schedule, which is every Wednesday at 7 p.m. and every Sunday at 10 a.m., releasing fresh pulpit sermons and so forth. Tonight, I expect to have Pastor Jay Faber joining me, although I'm not sure the exact time. He did say he would call in this evening. And uh, special thanks to many of the people who have sent donations and and, uh, attempted to help this ministry, Uh, namely uh, one brother in Illinois who's gone above and beyond the call of duty, and and we definitely appreciate that. Any support given is always great, and it goes back into the ministry. Uh, So aside from that, uh, there's not much else to mention as far as news. I usually rely on Obadiah to bring all the fresh news, but my strong point has always been dealing with the Scripture. And over here in Brooks at the Covenant People's Church, we've been discussing angels and their being extremely literal within the scripture. As many of you may well know, I, yours truly, have published a book, Sataniel, The Rise and Fall of the Morning Star. And in that, I go as far as to prove beyond a reasonable doubt and even a shadow of a doubt that Satan is literal, his fallen angels are extremely literal, and anyone who would deny this reality would, uh, it's pretty much not really Christian identity, because how can we deny the children of the wicked one quote-unquote, as Christ taught in his parable of the tares and the wheat, and call ourselves our identity, meaning being able to actually identify those seeds, the sons of God and the sons of the wicked one. So, who is the angel Gabriel? I've been discussing Gabriel, Raphael, and Michael, all from this pulpit in addition to Sataniel. Although, many of the single seed liners love coming against me and saying, well, you spend too much time focused on the devil, Pastor Visser, and in essence, you're uh, worshiping idols and so forth, but that's simply not the case. Angels are literal, and the reason I place such importance upon them is because they grace the pages of the Old and the New Testament, and they are to be considered messengers. Now, of course, the uh, single seed liner will come along and say, well, messenger means just that. Uh, Angel's just a man, and this Gabriel in the New Testament is a different Gabriel than the Old Testament. But what we'll see is that Gabriel graces the pages in numerous places. And in fact, probably one of the best places to go to when studying Gabriel is in the book of Daniel, chapter 8, verse 16, where we read King James. I heard the voice of a man behind the banks of Uli, and he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision, end quote. Now, we see right here 
that angels are they who oftentimes come along and give us understanding. And you've heard it preached from this pulpit time and time again, and I've placed great importance upon it by pointing out that there is a difference between wisdom and understanding. For example, we can come along and know who the players of the Scripture are. We can understand the words of Jesus Christ. But if we do not put them into action, if our faith does not lead us to works, well, they're truly in vain. What good is that? Meaning, you have no understanding of that wisdom. So a man can be wise in many things, wise in the ways of the world, wise in the ways of sin even, but oftentimes not even understand why they do the things we do or they do. So, in point here, we see that Gabriel was chosen to give Daniel, and by extension, Nebuchadnezzar, an understanding of a vision that they already had. So we see oftentimes that angels or messengers, for lack of a better term, are they who can grant other people um, the ability to be able to discern their own visions. And as we know in Scripture, dear kinsfolk, it also says that in the end times... Uh, there shall be visions that increase as well. And so we shouldn't underestimate this aspect of what a vision is, because our daughters and our sons are prophesying, if not right now, <laughs> and the earth truly is groaning for the revealing of the sons of, of God. But Daniel it was who gave the prophecy of Christ's coming, and most of us know that. I've written on that in my Morning Star series. It was Gabriel, excuse me, who, who came to the Virgin Mary and said, Blessed art thou among women. But we also know that he gave prophecies of Christ coming all the way back in the book of Daniel. For example, Daniel chapter 9, verse 21 says this, While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen before in a vision, came to me in a swift flight at the time of evening sacrifice. So here in both Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 9, we see that Gabriel was real. And Gabriel was considered not only to be an angel, but also a man. So what we can deduct from this on its face is what's the most simple, what's the most blaring, is that angels oftentimes appear, appear as men. Perhaps this is the reason why in the New Testament we're told to be kind to strangers and so forth, because thereby have some entertained angels unaware. Also, in Daniel chapter 10, it says this, I looked up and saw a man clothed in linen with a belt of gold from Euphaz around his waist, referencing Gabriel. Daniel chapter 6, verse 16, I approached one of the attendants to ask him the truth concerning all of this. So he said that he would disclose to me the interpretation of the matter. So what I'm driving home here is that Gabriel, it was that chosen archangel of Yahweh God who was sent down to not only close the mouths of the lions, but also to give him understanding of visions. Much later, it is Gabriel, the angel, who announces the very birth of John the Baptist to his own father, Zechariah. And many people in Christian identity know the story because it was Jesus Christ who told those unruly Jews, Upon you shall come all the blood from righteous Abel all the way up to Zechariah. And this is who we're talking about right here, John the Baptist's father. It was the way of the serpentile terror of the enemy to work their way in and kill and murder the true prophets. And this is why the New Testament straightforwardly says that the Jews are contrary to all men. They please not God. And why? Well, because they did just this. They murdered the prophets. So we can read in Luke chapter 1, verse 11, Then the angel of Yahweh appeared to him there, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. The angel replied, pay close attention, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. Now, 
that's something I want to focus in on here, dear friends, because most oftentimes in Scripture, angels are sent to do the quote-unquote dark deeds of Yahweh God. It was angels that rained fire and brimstone upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was angels that withstood Balaam and his miraculous talking ass and many other examples that could be brought forth. But most oftentimes to those who are chosen of Yahweh God, as Mary was, as Elizabeth, her cousin, was, the angel brings good tidings. They bring good news. There's nothing to fear, and that is exactly what we see here. And, of course, we know that the angel Gabriel also appeared to Mary. In Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, it says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, anybody familiar with this pulpit knows that I've taught numerous times that it was Mary who was raised within the holiest of holies. In fact, I've preached the entire gospel of Mary, the, ti- the entire infancy of Jesus Christ, which is also attributed to her, and the Proto-Evangelion, and my, I might add, how the uh, comments and the negative reviews are racking up on YouTube. I invite the listener to swing by and look up the gospel of Mary on the Covenant People's channel on YouTube and see exactly what I'm talking about, but needless to say, it is usually usually the godless who come against this ministry and want to attack it, and oftentimes many Christians do too, and they say, well, this is a spurious text. And I say, well, if that be, can we not at least study it in a historical context? I mean, what would we rather do, be watching American Idol? Nonetheless, in the Proto-Evangelion, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, we can read, quote, when her sixth month was come, referencing Mary, Joseph returned from his building houses abroad, which was his trade. And entering into the house, he found the virgin grown big. Then, smiting upon his face, he said, With what face can I look upon Yahweh my God? Or what shall I say concerning this young woman? For I received her a virgin out of the temple of Yahweh my God, and have not preserved her such. Who has thus deceived me? Question from Joseph. Who has committed this evil in my house and seducing the virgin from me hath defiled her? Another question. Is not the history of Adam exactly accomplished in me? Third question. Let me read that again, dear friends. This is from the Protevangelion, chapter 10. And here it is, Joseph returning from abroad, finding his own bride pregnant with the Holy Ghost or by the Holy Ghost. And he says, quote, Is not the history of Adam exactly accomplished in me? Continuing on. For in the very instant of his glory, the serpent came and found Eve alone and seduced her. Just after the same manner it has happened to me. Then Joseph, arising from the ground, called her and said, O thou who hast been so much favored by Yahweh, why hast thou done this? Why hast thou thus debased thy soul? who wast educated in the Holy of Holies, and received thy food from the hands of angels. But she, with a flood of tears, replied, I am innocent, and have known no man. I have known no man. That is the reply of Mary to Joseph when she's being charged with adultery. Wrongfully, I might add. Just like the King James Version of the Bible says. 
Now, later translations of our own scriptures will come along and say, how can this be, for I've known not my husband. And I've pointed this out for numerous years, because there is an extreme difference between knowing no man, meaning she was a virgin, and knowing her husband. A woman can get pregnant by anybody outside of their husband, and the NIV and the NASB and numerous spurious latter translations leave open the premise that the Talmud puts forth. That is, that Mary was a whore, and Jesus was conceived of a Roman centurion. So those are a few places where the angel Gabriel appears. We know it's in Luke. There are other appearances, and there are technically three angels mentioned by name in Scripture. We know Gabriel, and we know Michael, but few overlook Raphael. And I'll bring forth a study on that one in the future. But who exactly was Gabriel? I'm going to read to you from the Webster Bible. Indeed, many people about this time will be saying, but I didn't know, Pastor Visser, that Webster had a Bible. That is because they're ignorant and don't seemingly understand that the very first dictionary written by Webster, Noah Webster, was a Bible dictionary. All things truly stem from this word, and this word was sufficient enough for hundreds and hundreds of years before the public school education system for families to be able to teach their children, and they in turn to teach their children. And this is why I've stressed the importance on the parents. If the parents will raise the child in the right way, meaning from this word of God, then that child, when he's older, shall not depart from it. Now, we can turn around and excuse people that have race-mixing daughters all we want. In fact, when Faber calls in, I believe we're going to address some of that. But it truly does lay in the back of the parents. That's not to say that our children will not be rebellious. We see this example overlaid within Satan and God's own family. We see this example with the unruly 12 children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel. Do we not? Indeed, many of them would fight. They would sell their brothers into slavery. There was always a form of rivalry because iron sharpens iron. That is designed to keep us from becoming wimps. But when we turn our rivalries into hatred, well, that's where the devil takes root. So in Webster's Bible, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, quote, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now stopping right there. That sounds quite familiar, does it not? But it is from our scripture. The Catholics will go from here and say, Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. But at least I will go on record and say this. The Catholics at least got it right in one regard, because they say, Holy Mary, Mother of God. At least they're able to recognize who Emmanuel, God with us, is. Many of the Judeo-Christians will argue until they're blue in the face and fight tooth and nail to tell you that Jesus Christ was not God in flesh, when that's the very meaning of his word. Hail thou that art, far, uh, that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Mary was troubled. Now, we don't often understand at the time of our salutation, at the time of our greeting, what exactly good news and or bad news is being brought to us. Mary was wise, and as I before mentioned, she was raised in the holiest of holies. She was fed by the very hands of angels, according to every text out there. And when we break it down to it, she was smart enough to know that she should remain silent and ponder within her mind what manner of salutation this should be. 
So we see that an angel named Gabriel was chosen of God like each and every one of us is. There is not a move made down here on earth that Yahweh God does not approve of. There is not a serial killer that, that drops into the darkest recesses of hell unless that be his will. And it is no different for the archangels. Those higher in might than us, yet we are the ones who will judge them. Now consider that. What does that mean to you, dear friends? Many people say, well, I'm going to judge angels. Therefore, I have a right to go around and judge my brother. I have the right to judge anybody I want, but that's not the case. But getting back to this, Mary was troubled, and she pondered within her mind. And Yahweh, and Yahweh God chose Gabriel to make the declaration of the coming Messiah to the Virgin Mary. The Gospel of the Birth of Mary states the same exact thing. And again, I will invite you to download my entire, I believe it's eight-part series on the Gospel of Mary. But, for example, it says in uh, the Gospel of the Birth of Mary, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, quote, If reason will not convince you, of the truth of my words. Now, this is Gabriel revealing the coming of Mary to her parents, Joachim and Anna. If reason will not convince you of the truth of my words, that there are frequent conceptions in advanced years, and that those who were barren have brought forth to their great surprise, therefore, Anna, your wife, shall bring you a daughter, and you shall call her name Mary. She shall, according to your vow, be devoted to Yahweh God from her infancy and be filled with the Holy Ghost from her mother's womb. She shall neither eat nor drink anything which is unclean, nor shall her conversation be without among the common people, but in the temple of Yahweh God, so that she may not fall under any slander or suspicion of what is bad. Now it should be pointed out that the apocryphal book of Susanna almost overlays this teaching. Because it was Susanna who was a virtuous woman, and there were two bastards in that garden who came and said, we're going to lie, we're going to bear false witness, we're going to say we both lie with Susanna, this virgin. But yet, what did she do? She maintained her innocence. She said she knew no man. And as a result of that, the wise King Solomon was able to vindicate her in the end, to bring justice. And this is exactly what we see here. But not only do we see that, we see a teaching from the Gospel of the Birth of Mary that Mary's mother, Anna, conceived in old age, much like, Abraham, or, uh, much like Esau's mother did as well, the forebear of the promise, I should, should say. But the point that should be pointed out is that these two texts, both of them, the Gospel of the Birth of Mary and the Protoevangelium, which are non-canonized and many consider Gnostic, state that the Virgin Mary herself was educated in the Holiest of Holies and fed by God's angels. So irregardless of our positions on these texts, they both offer a historical viewpoints and um, talk about the consecrated pureness of Mary, where oftentimes the Bible remains silent and indeed it does because our bibles unfortunately do not go into great detail as to the many numerous wonderful prophecies that were given uh concerning mary's birth and it stands to reason does it not for yahweh would have divine intervention behind the rearing of mary because through the virgin mary would come yahshua messiah the redeemer of our beloved race and so it stands to reason as Yahweh God walks and moves us, each and every one of us, by his own hand into the path that he would have us 
So also he did Mary. And not only that, protected her and kept her pure. The reason I'm pointing this out is because the Talmud truly does say that the Virgin Mary was no virgin at all, that she was a whore and Jesus was a bastard born of adultery. Yet these Gospels and our own scriptures confirm that she was pure. The reason Yahweh God had her raised up within the temple was so that they could not say that, but leave it to the enemy to come along, to call good evil and evil bad. Mary was truly one such example. If you don't want to look at her as an example of all women, then we should at least look at her as an example of devout and extreme faith. Even she gave over her only begotten son. Well, at least her only begotten son of Yahweh God, but that's a time for another day. But I'd like to read right now from a quote from one of my oldest sermons. I think it's about 2003 or so. It's called Sodomites, Haters of God. It's an exposition into the downfall of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it further proves the point that I'm making this evening. Quote, We plainly see that two men who are considered angels enter into the gates of Sodom because Yahweh went his way, quote-unquote, after his dealings with Abraham. These two, these two angels soon bring about God's wrath on the unsuspecting city, meaning that there were obviously not even ten people of worth to turn away Yahweh's wrath. Indeed, it was Abraham who made intercessory prayer, and it was Yahweh God himself who said he would spare that city for the sake of even one. Not too many people made it out, and a lot of people overlooked the fact that almost every city round about Sodom was also destroyed. As Yahweh God holds cities oftentimes in derision. He holds them because that's where most evils take place, but it is also where tolerance is most accepted. When we go to cities, we find tolerance of almost all manner of abomination. Continuing on, only Lot and his two daughters make it through the night, and later his daughters act foolishly due to the influence of this perverted city. And I might point out, dear friends, that the incestuous act between Lot and his two daughters brought forth two of the most abominable tribes that were to be a thorn in the sides of the children of Israel. That is, Moab and Ammon. And of course, we know this story ourselves. Lot almost seems repentant and reflective of the covenant upon seeing these two death angels. And his hospitality turns to outright protection. And indeed, it was Lot who protected them by offering over his own daughters. Lot initially sat at the gate of the wicked of the city. But later, when he sees these two angels, he urges them to enter into the house. So we see that Lot had to deal with angels. And many times, angels appear within the scripture. Gabriel is one such example. Let's continue reading in Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. This, again, is going to be from the Noah Webster's Bible. It says this, The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and call his name Iusus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house, meaning race, of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now look at this. Here's Gabriel giving a proclamation, an enunciation, telling the world by extension, but most assuredly Mary, that she is going to conceive and bring forth the ruler of all Israel. And not only that, of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now, my, how th times do not change, because even now there are many people who say, well, why are you fighting this fight? 
you're you're going to lose in the end. Don't you know, after all, that uh, whites are a minority? Don't you know that you have to tolerate all of these things? And I say unto you, dear friends, if you have to tolerate anything, that should already be in your mind telling you something, that uh, you're tolerating something that's wicked. But not only that, Yahweh God gives Jesus Christ the throne of his great-great-grandfather David. This is how the term Son of David came into existence. Because we know Jesus Christ was not a literal son of David. He was the son of Yahweh God. But he came through that progeny, through that seed line, through that chosen race. Which race is that? The house of Jacob. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. He shall. Who? Yeshua Messiah shall reign over the house of Jacob. So right there is an identifier for you in this latter era. The house of Jacob, the true Israelites, those quote-unquote 100% Israelites that so many people love claiming to be, are those who are reigned over by Jesus Christ. And not flippantly, I might add, because if you go into your average modern Judeo-Christian church in this land, they're going to tell you, hey, I'm a full Bible believer, but I ask you, are they really? For example, when you point out John 8:44, where Jesus Christ rebukes the Jews and tells them they are of their father the devil, do they accept that verbatim from the mouth of Jesus Christ? You'll find oftentimes they won't. And that's exactly what I was mentioning with the video on the gospel of the birth of Mary on YouTube. A majority of the people who are coming against it also profess to be Christians. You would think in this year, 2013, that uh, they would be saying, hey, go ahead and read the Protevangelion. Go ahead and read the Gnostic text. Read the Apocrypha. But apparently these people barely even read the Bible at all. So their advice is, hey, don't read that. That wasn't accepted and or canonized by the quote-unquote experts. I kid you not, dear friends. What experts were those? I'd love someone to point those out. If any experts, they would be these. The experts who codified the Bible long before the Council of Nicaea were also those of the kingdom of no end, the house of Jacob, the Christians. This is the proclamation of his blessed name, Jesus Christ or Emmanuel. And you know, dear listener, that Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 straightforwardly proves that Emmanuel means God with us. It is this angel, Gabriel, who was chosen for this permit purpose and it was for this function he was created again gabriel was created to do just what he did to give daniel the interpretation of visions to come along to announce to the parents of john the baptist the coming of their son to announce to mary and later joseph the coming of the redeemer who was to free all the captives amongst israel so it is the prophet Enoch who says, Gabriel is, pay close attention, I'm going to read to you now from Enoch chapter 20, verses 7 through 8. And he says, Gabriel is, quote, one of the holy angels who is over paradise and the serpents and the cherubim. Stopping right there. Gabriel is considered an archangel, and Enoch testifies of that fact. Not only is he over all serpents, and serpents have dual meaning within Scripture, I might add. They're not inherently evil. For example, consider the serpent atop Moses' staff. That's an entirely different study for a whole other day. But Gabriel is overlord of paradise, meaning Eden. He could have been the very cherubim that cast out and expulsed Adam and Eve in the very beginning that we read about in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. 
Continuing on in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, Webster translation. Then said Mary unto the angel, that's Gabriel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God, end quote. Not a Son of God. Not like Satan. Not like you. Not like Adam. Not like me. Not a mere Son of God, but the Son of God. The only begotten Son of God, meaning His very Spirit in flesh form. His flesh incarnate. His name truly was Emmanuel, God with us, and that's confirmed by the book of Enoch. That's confirmed by Genesis. That's confirmed by the whole of Scripture. What shall be born of Mary shall be called the Son of God. Now, a lot of people trip at this. They say, now, how can God be both the Son of God and God himself? Who is he praying to? It's really not hard when you understand omnipotence. It's really not hard when you understand that Jesus Christ, Yeshua Messiah, was meant and sent to be our perfect example that each and every man should strive to follow. It's important for us as Christian identists to notice that Mary explained that she had not known any man. Again, I've already mentioned this. She was a virgin who was true, and unfaithful wives oftentimes can become pregnant by men other than their husbands. For example, consider the current moderator at Stormfront Theology Identity section. She, once upon a time, was guilty of the same charge. But nonetheless, Gabriel continues. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of Yahweh, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. That, of course, was Luke chapter 1, verses 36 through 38. I read two verses there, and what I want to point out is this. Angel uh, Mary, when dealing with the angel, was a perfect overlaying an example of the virtuous woman that we read about in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. And in the virtuous woman, there, she gives her husband no cause for wrongful accusation. And not only that, she is faithful enough to deliver her own house. For example, we read here in Luke, for with God nothing shall be impossible. That's what Gabrielle says. And what does Mary retort? She says, behold, I am the handmaid of Yahweh. Be it unto me according to thy word now, dear listener. Can you have the same faith? If you walk around attempting to carve your own road to make your narrow way even broader, do you kick against the pricks? Do you row your own canoe? Do you want to do it your own way? Or can you have the faith enough to say like Mary did to Gabrielle here? Be it according to me as your word says. The word oftentimes says that where a person goes, that's where he should be content. That Yahweh God truly does direct our path. He makes us go where he wants us to be. So many of us find ourselves in prison. So what does he want you to do, dear prisoner who's listening to this on CD? He wants you to testify. He wants you to witness to other prisoners, to other people. He wants you to set free the captives, if only in a spiritual level and in a spiritual manner. And I might add, Jesus Christ straightforwardly said that those types of miracles are even greater. He said his believers, his faithful remnant Zadok, will be those who can do greater miracles than these. Jesus Christ restored physical sight to the physically blind. He restored 
the ability to hear to those who were born without the ability to hear from birth. But Christ himself, Yahshua Messiah, this quote-unquote Son of God, also said that if we're able to do these things on a spiritual level, if you're able to deliver the children from being meat from the beast of the field, for example, as the old proverb says, even one fleck of the lamb's hair, it can be redeemed, it can be saved. So beware of the pharisaical mindset. I've had to deal with this this week myself, dear kinsfolk. Pharisees who want to subjugate themselves off. Who ask for callers, then attack them and wonder why no one calls. We cannot be this way. We cannot be like the Pharisee and say, you know what, I'm going to segregate myself off. Because after all, in 8,000 years of admixture, and I might add, the minor prophets say that the Israelites were dispersed, that they were admixed at the time. I'm 100% Israelite. I can judge and attack this person who has black hair, who has brown hair. I can rule out all of Southern California where you were born and raised, Pastor Visser, to where your family, your friends, your people that you want to hear this message cannot listen. And I say, good luck, dear friend. Good luck. It doesn't work that way. We must have the love of the angels. We must have the love that Mary had. The faith enough to say, unto you, Yahweh God, your will, your way. This was Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross in agony, in torture. Do you think it was a bed of roses for him? He said, if this cup, and I might add that cup was wrath, shall pass away, let it be. But it was perfect love that caused him to go to the cross on Calvary to give up the ghosts, to impart perfect love for his neighbor, for his race, and he asks us to do the same. He taught us a new commandment that no greater love hath any man than to lay down his life for his own neighbor, for his own kinsfolk, for his own race. My, how things have changed in this latter year, 2013. Well, man doesn't care about anything but making a buck, screwing over the little, little guy, getting a little promotion at work. Well, nothing sacred doesn't matter to the average Christian when they attack Pastor Visser when I quote line and verse from the Word of God, even though oftentimes they can't come against it. Do you think they repent? These quote-unquote Bible-believing Christians who are in your Baptist pulpits? Of course they don't. This statement's important because just like Abraham and Sarah conceiving in old age, it proves that Yahweh alone controls the womb of women and I want to read to you very quickly again, Sodomites, haters of God. We already covered that, but that points out these two angels appeared. There are numerous similarities between this. Who was Abraham but a foreshadowing of Isaac and Jacob, Israel? He was their great-great-grandfather. And by extension, who was John the Baptist but a foreshadowing? And he who would testify of he who was six months younger than him in the womb. And that was Yahshua Messiah. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the Gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive monthly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.com where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, 
you will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. So, it was Gabriel who straightforwardly says the Spirit of God would come upon Mary and she would conceive. Mary conceived of the Holy Spirit. It was Yahweh God himself who placed that word seed, meaning sperma, within Mary. That's an entirely different study. So I'm going to check the chat real quick, see if there's any questions. Check and see if Aber is supposed to be calling in. He did not say exactly what time, but he did say he would call in by three-way. So as soon as I hear this click over, I intend on popping over and bringing him live. Hopefully he doesn't leave me hanging. Time will tell. But anyway, uh, I see that there are no questions, but the turnout is pretty good. And again, if you did not hear me earlier, Dirk Ken spoke. I mentioned that Covenant People's Radio is going back to our original time slot, which is more fitting, which is Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and Sundays at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, or 10 a.m., I should say, for our pulpit sermons that are pre-recorded for the most part. But they're edited up, cleaned up, and they're put out, and we have a slew of them coming. Uh, and it makes perfect sense because you want to keep it at exactly three and a half uh, day intervals for people because if you don't feed them, you know, continually, they usually will step off. And that's kind of the key when it comes to this. A lot of people have been run away from this show, admittedly. And I know as a pastor that just as many people who are run away are replaced within a matter of months. And perhaps it'll take a year for me to get back to the level of support that I once was. But thankfully, there are those who do support. And I'm not begging for anything or any other type of support than your prayers, dear kinsfolk. But many people come against this ministry, and oftentimes we need to watch those who are the closest to us. Because they are the ones who oftentimes are the Judas, and they are the snake in the grass. And I'm not pointing any fingers, but when favor comes on tonight, we are attempting, or we have planned to discuss many of the ludicrous dogmas that have entered into Christian identity in the last decade. For example, that uh, the earth is hollow. For example, the earth is flat. For example, the world is going to end in December 2012. For example, the list is endless, dear friends. So hopefully he does call in. I want to address some of Michael, though. And these, uh, for this evening, dear friends, I'm giving you a condensed version of what was considered the morning stars, which was never fully preached in its proper context, because it was actually preached on the fly years ago on faulty, faulty equipment. And um, also, we uh, are intending on bringing forth, as I mentioned, in depth, not only on Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, but then we're going to go into the Gnostic and the Apocryphal texts and start bringing on people like Uriel, uh, Samuel and so forth, all the many other archangels that aren't mentioned in any of Scripture. But what does Michael mean? Michael's name means who is like God. It is a question. And that's what you say every time you say Michael and or Michael. What is Gabriel's name? It is man of God. That's what his name means. Gabriel, man of God. Michael, who's like God. That's what you're saying when you say these two names, these angelic Names. Every name within Scripture, as I've pointed out time and time again, has a particular meaning. For example, Philip, the apostle, his name means fond of horses. 
Now, leave it to the no-devil to come along and say, you know what? Well, Gabriel means man of God, therefore, he couldn't be an angel. He couldn't be eternal. He couldn't be he who's at the right hand of Yahweh God and does his bidding, right? Well, that's how they reason it. They come along and they say, well, this Gabriel who appeared to Daniel is different than this Gabriel who appeared to Elizabeth and is different than this Gabriel who appeared to the Virgin Mary and is different than this Gabriel or at least this Michael, who's going to war against Satan in the book of Revelation. Michael's name means who is like God. And the archangel Michael has the distinction of shattering man's bogus no-angel doctrines. Because he also, like Gabriel, is in both the Old and the New Testaments, proving his longevity. His name is a question. You can look it up in Strong's Hebrew number 4317. It means that his personal appearance is likened to that of Yahweh God. But, and pay close attention, dear friends, I want you to hone in on this. He is not Jesus Christ, as some people teach. For example, the Mormons, they love coming along and saying, well, Michael's just today, Jesus Christ is not an angel. Jesus Christ is God in flesh form. We cannot make that mistake. Why? Well, we're supposed to worship Jesus Christ, are we not? We're supposed to pray in Jesus' name. Yes, we're not supposed to worship angels. We're not supposed to pray to them. So, it was Michael who appears in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, verse 11, and verse 21, and he appears to help him overcome his own spiritual battles, meaning he was there also with Gabriel all the way back, helping him close the mouths of the lions. And I want to read Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 in the Webster's. says this, At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, who stands for the children of thy people. Racial covenant, dear friends. And there shall be a time of trouble. Great tribulation, dear friends. Such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that same time, people shall be delivered. Every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And we read here in Daniel chapter 12, that's the Old Testament, that at that time, the time of the great white throne judgment, the day of the second advent, the day where every knee bows, the archangel Michael will raise up. He shall stand up. He shall stand for the children of our people. He also, as Jesus Christ, shall be a mediator and an intercessory, an intercessor for us, for those who want to attack us. Now, who would want to attack us, you might be asking? Well, we know, according to the New Testament, that Satan is considered to be the accuser of the brethren. That's his name. That's what it means. Well, more specifically, if you actually look up Satanus in the Greek, it means a in accuser, specifically the devil. And if you look it up in Hebrew, it means an accuser, specifically Satan. So the irony behind those who come along and tell you, well, the Strong's Concordance doesn't prove that the devil is a literal angel. My foot, it doesn't, because Dr. James Strong straightforwardly brought forth the teaching that Satanias means accuser, just as Gabriel means man of God specifically Satan. I bring that up because that's exactly their modus operandi. They want to attack people, say angels aren't literal. Why? Because they want to be the messenger. They want to be reverenced, and they want to discount the spiritual realm, dear friends. It is the Sadducees who deny angels. That's in your own King James. 
Yet many people are sitting here praising these bastards who come along and teach against Swift, teach against the four Gospels, and teach against the very mouth of Jesus Christ who said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Has any man fallen from heaven and survived? Can it even be possible? No. But that's exactly what they want to do. Because Jesus Christ says Satan is the prince of the air, prince of this world. Well, they say, your flesh is Satan. And nine times out of ten, that is because they cannot bring their own flesh under subjection. So, at that time, Michael shall truly rise up. And I've already referenced before going here in Daniel that it also says this as well. That Michael, when contending over the body of Moses with Satan, does not bring railing accusation. Michael is the opposite of Satan. Satan is the accuser of our brethren. Michael does not bring railing accusation. What does he say? The Lord rebuke thee. Period. That's what Jesus Christ said to every Satan and or enemy he had, including Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. Period. He didn't argue with the devil. He didn't attempt to justify himself, as so many people out there feel the need to do. Why? Well, only God can judge you. What are you doing defending yourself from an ex-cop? What are you doing defending yourself from somebody who doesn't use their real name? It's ludicrous. How about preach the word in season and out of season? Oh, many of them will not, and gossip truly is more profitable. So be that as it may, I want to read from Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceives the whole world, and was cast out upon the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Oh, my. What do we learn from this? Not only is the devil cast out to earth by Michael and his angels, which is the saints, the Zadok, many of you and I, the listeners, but he deceives the whole world, tying perfectly into his title, Prince of this World. And not only that, he was cast out upon the earth and his angels were cast out upon him. What was hell reserved for, according to the book of Revelation, that lake of fire? In two places, it is reserved for the devil and the false prophet and the devil and his angels. That is the purpose of the lake of fire. And that, of course, I might add, is a study for another day, because our God is a consuming fire. And us, fitly joined together as the body of Christ, can be perceived as a purging fire. This is why the tares are burned up in fire and by fire, by angels, according to the parable of the tares and wheat, as per Jesus' mouth. Beware those who want to take the place of angels and say, I want to commit violence. I want to purge the tares before the time is right. It makes perfect sense. God's timetable is perfect, and I've referenced this before. When it comes time for harvest, all the wheat lays down. That's how you know the genuine wheat. And the tares' bald, kike head stick up. And that's how God is able to purge them. But us, we would tear up the roots and leave it to Christian identity and most people even professing to be Christian identity pastors to come along and devote a majority of their ministry to attacking one another. Are not our numbers small enough? It's a simple question. Our numbers were small enough all the way back in the Exodus. And yet we rivaled then, we warred then, we sold each other into slavery, we killed each other, we argued over meaningless genealogies, which I might add, are forbidden as per the New Testament to argue over vain, uh, over minor disputes of the law and genealogies. 
But we did it then. We're doing it now. The children of Israel truly are a stiff-necked people, and there truly is no new thing under the sun. Never will be. How it can't be. The reason it says that the, the uh, Yahweh God cannot change is so the sons of Jacob cannot be consumed. That requires this word, dear friends. Jesus Christ told you, I have foretold you all things. Now, where do you think he told you that? He didn't tell you that at the Starbucks coffee. He didn't tell you that at the uh, mall. He tells you that within his word. And Jesus Christ, as Yahweh, the quote-unquote man of war in the Old Testament, says, I am Yahweh, I change not, therefore thy sons of Jacob are not consumed. One of the last chapters in the entire whole Old Testament. Why? So we can bank upon his word. So we know that if it says one thing, we know they're literal. What have we covered tonight in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1? But the fact that Gabriel is point A, an angel, B, seen as a man, uh, C, continuing on, and D, that he gives the proclamations of Yahweh God, and that he, his, he was created for that purpose. Now, is there any dispute? Is there any argument as to whether angels are literal or not? We've already covered almost the same exact prophecy from the book of Revelation, which is the Old Testament, written in 80 AD, and the book of Daniel, which was written in Babylon, thousands of years apart. So coming along and saying, well, that's just a different Michael. Well, damn, sounds pretty similar, doesn't it? Michael shall stand up, as per Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, and deliver the children of his people. Here in Revelation, there's war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And what is this dragon? He's called the old serpent, the devil, and Satan. All three of those terms, including the devil, serpent, and Satan, are capitalized. Leave it to the single seed liner to come along and say, well, that doesn't mean what it means. Right here you have a triple witness as to who that dragon is, who was cast out, who was in the book of Revelation, and in there all the way at the very beginning before the Tohu Vobohu, the catabol. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, for lack of a better term, he was there. And to argue that point seems to be arguing against Scripture. He's portrayed continually, nonstop, in almost every form of art and throughout our Scripture to be fighting and warring against Satan. Not rebuking, not rebelling, not arguing with him or accusing him of any wrongdoing, because that is what the rebel angel's position is. These reference, all these verses that we've covered in Daniel and in Revelation from the Webster Bible are deal with the great and terrible day of Yahweh God, or the coming judgment upon mankind. Continuing on, either God's word is perfect, or we must rely on man's faulty interpretations. Here and in the King James Version, both the devil and Satan are capitalized. Continuing on, Jude chapter 1, verse 9, and I love this text. It's so similar to Second Peter chapter 2, it's not even funny. Quote, Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses durst not bring railing accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and run greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perish in the gainsaying of Kor. Why would Jude say that? Now, Jude was considered a brother of Christ, and his name was Judas. However, he was differentiated from Judas Iscariot, meaning man of Iscariot, or that Jew, and shortened to Jude. Jude says, 
that Michael did not argue, did not bring railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked them. And goes on to point out, woe unto them those who do accuse, those who do follow after the manner of Satan himself. Do what? They go in the way of Cain, capitalized, personified. I wonder why that is. Perhaps that's, perhaps that's because the way of Cain is murder. And Jesus Christ told those Canaanite Jews in the New Testament, Upon them shall come all the blood from righteous Abel to righteous Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's father, who we, all, who we already covered this evening. But they perished in the gainsaying of Kor. That's what I want to focus in on. Because the gainsaying of Kor was a little event in Israelite history where Yahweh God heard our prayers. He heard our supplication. We were in bondage. And more specifically, it was a spiritual bondage more than a, or, an, or I could say, an economic bondage more than a shames and shackle bondage that we were in in Egypt. And he heard our prayers. He sent a series of ten plagues. And after all the miracles that Yahweh God had wrought through his two servants, Aaron and Moses, after sending anthrax to kill the cows, after sending locusts to devour all the crops, after turning the water and the rivers into blood, after delivering them and parting the sea itself for them to cross over, there were many who looked back, just like Lot's wife. They looked back and they said, Yahweh God is not enough for me. Yahweh God isn't he who fills my cup. Yahweh God doesn't feed me, Pharaoh does. And that was what was known as the game saying of Kor. More specifically, it was Moses who was up on the mountain receiving the law itself from Yahweh God on how the Israelites were to govern. Sanitation laws, the entire Pentateuch. And they couldn't wait 30 days. They elected their own golden calf. And what did God do in Korah? He opened the earth. He swallowed them. He destroyed them. He purged them. Just like the book of Revelation confirms those that are not fit to hear the gospel, those who are disobedient, those who want to do things their own way, and more specifically, those who are ungrateful are vomited out of the mouth of Yahweh God, vomited out of the ass of the earth. And that's exactly what happened at the gainsaying of Kor. And this, my friends, is the reason why these two are locked within one paragraph. Woe unto them, Jude says in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 9. For they have gone the way of Cain, and run greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. Who is Balaam? You've heard me preach on him time and time again. Balaam was a Mesopotamian soothsayer. He would prophesy according to the highest bidder. He would do exactly what Joel Stein and Billy Graham do today. He would go down and prophesy good things to the children of Israel if someone would pay him enough. And he would also go down and lie and say you're under a curse. But what is it to the children of Israel when false prophets arise? As long as we cling to Yahweh God and his word. Cain did not. The children of Israel and Korah did not. And that is why Yahweh God consumed them. We cannot run greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. Why? Because there's truly no reward within that. So, dealing almost exclusively with the false prophets that have gone the way of Cain, Jude's statement gives proof that Moses' body was taken by Yahweh and how to deal with modern counterfeit preachers. I want to point out here a quote that I think would tie perfectly in to exactly what we're covering right here. And you know me, dear kin, kinfolk, I love preaching on the book of Enoch. It was Enoch who was taken. It says in the book of Genesis that Enoch walked not or walked with God and was not. 
I invite you to swing by covenantpeoplesministry.org and download my sermon, Enoch's Walk of Life. Because within that, I'm able to prove that Enoch, like Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, walked with Yahweh God. Do you walk with Yahweh God? Cain did not. Many of us do not. Even if we think we are, many of us do not. We strive to the letter of the word. We look at the Bible like a textbook. But what does any of this mean? If Yahweh God himself does not know us, does not answer our prayers, and more specifically gives us understanding. So in the Secrets of Enoch, chapter 31, verses 4 through 5, it says this. The devil is the evil spirit of the lower places. As a fugitive, he made Satana. And that also, in other texts, dear friends, can read Diana. That's a study for another day, but it should point out why the children of Israel in the Old Testament erected an idol named Diana. From the heavens, as his name was Sataniel. Sataniel means the impious one, the accuser of our brethren. Thus, he became different from the angels, but his nature did not change his intelligence as far as his understanding of righteous and sinful things. And he understood his condemnation and the sin which he had sinned before. Therefore, he who, Satan, conceived thought against Adam, and in such form he entered and seduced Eve, but did not touch Adam. End quote. What we read here from the book of the Secrets of Adam not only confirms that Eve was straightforwardly sexually seduced, as we've read, as I've confirmed already twice or three or four times directly from other texts, but also that Enoch confirms seed line, just like the Gospel of Mary, just like the Protoevangelion. And I think the reason for this is because the book of Enoch and many of these so-called apocryphal books have been tampered with less. And as a result, they are extremely racist. I'd also like to invite you to swing by and download a sermon I did about four or five years ago on the Testament of Dan. And the Testament of Dan is one such racial uh, prophecy given by a specific race of people continuing on. So to prove this point more thoroughly, let's examine 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 7. Quote, when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is severe upon us, and upon Dagon our God. End quote. Now reading this verse right here, am I worshiping Dagon, the false god of the Philistines, the fish god? Not at all. But the single seed liner would have you believe that. They come along and they try to protect their father, the devil, because they want to do the lust of their father as per Jesus' words in John chapter 8, verse 44. If you understand that, then we should also understand from the same exact narrative that when the devil speaks a lie, he speaks to his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. Therefore, when he speaks a lie, his children perceive it as truth. Stopping right there, ponder that for a moment. Just as much as you believe this word is truth, just as much as you believe every single word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, so also does our curly-headed, big-nosed enemy believe the lie. So also do they come along and they believe their Talmudic, rabbi, rabbinical traditions trump the word of God. So also do they believe that nothing you say really matters. 
Now, I know, dear friends, when I go on a news guy show or a Dembski show, I know what they think of me. I know perhaps somewhere in there, in the middle, there may be some common ground, but there truly is no communication between light and dark. There truly is a huge difference between Christ and Belial. Now, people have an issue with me going on certain shows. That's on them. They can have that. You know, if they want, I have no intention on going on particular shows. In fact, after tonight, I kind of intend on slacking back a little bit and enjoying a brief sabbatical. I've been going exactly not only every week for 14 months, but I've also been going, you know, <laughs> here and there, been releasing two or three as the average per week on sermons. So it is a slow point for us, which is ironic, I might add, dear friends, because usually summer here in the dirty south is my most active season, but I'm under a lot of spiritual attacks right now, and I'm dealing with a lot of changes that this ministry is going through, but they're changes for the better, and I believe that, dear friends. They're changes for the better because supporters come and go, people come and go, you know, that's just the way of it, but as long as we tell the truth, in season and out of season, as long as we avoid from dropping to the level of the enemy, and saying, you know, uh, I need to defend myself from these spurious charges. As long as we focus on preaching the word, then should the Lord tarry, maybe at 100 years, maybe at 500 years, but those words have standing longevity. Nothing we can say about another person, nothing we can accuse them of truly, truly matters. And I say this as from the point of an accuser, not as one who's been slandered. What good does it do me to come against somebody else and call them this if in reality it is Yahweh God who judges them? If, am I not that type of person then who would be coming along saying Jesus Christ didn't really say by which measure I judge I'll be judged? I like how a lot of these people come along and say, well, I'm not judging because I'm not sending somebody to hell. Come on, man. You can say it's discernment, you can say whatever you want, but when you come along and say somebody is a Jew, when you come along and you slander them on their racial lineage, when you come along and you say that they cannot enter into the kingdom you are judging, no matter how you cut it, you cannot say who or what white person is allowed under the covenant or is not. That is not our position. But the devil, that angel, loves coming along and saying, did you see what so-and-so did? Did you see what so-and-so said? He was on that Judemsky show. Oh, my goodness. Don't I have such an inflated sense of self-importance, even though I don't use my real name being a chump? Yeah, if anybody asks me, I'm going to tell them this. Tell them nothing, fool. Answer them not a word. That's what Jesus Christ said. Jesus Christ, when he was delivered up before Pilate and Herod both, answered him not a word. They could bring railing accusation. They could accuse him of everything they wanted. And in the end, he went ahead and he died. An innocent man under a false accusation, that being king of the Jews. But it did not matter because he truly did do the will of God. Well, uh, I'm not sure if Faber was planning on calling in later or not, but I do not intend on actually doing shows anymore. As I said at the beginning of this broadcast, this is our final CPM broadcast for the Friday 7 p.m. time slot until further notice or until I hear otherwise. But be that as it may, uh, tonight we have Clifton Emmeheiser on at 8.10. We have uh, Pastor Eli James on at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard, both of those times. And I believe there's a few other new CI shows that are popping up. In fact, one guy, bless his heart, a brother, is doing uh, Bertrand Comparé sermons and uh, Wesley Swift sermons and putting them up on his uh, 
his own talk show, allowing new generations of people, I swear, coming in and being able to hear Wesley Swift. And it is quite eye-opening and ironic that a lot of these guys now are coming and saying, hey, you know what, I'm Aryan Nations when they were in, like, junior high when Butler died. <laughs> Not even possible, but be that as it may, I'm going to go ahead and knock it off about now, and I'll probably go ahead and reschedule Pastor Faber. This is kind of what I figured might happen. Be that as it may, dear kinfolk, as I said, thank each and every one of you, especially our brother from Illinois, for uh, your support and just for listening. I definitely appreciate that, and uh, until next time, which will be actually Sunday, 10 a.m., for a pulpit sermon, and next Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, this is Pastor Visser from the heart of the dirty south once again wishing you and yours great studies. Word for Christ. Amen. Yo, what's up? Hey. Hey. Hello? We got, hey, can you hear me? Barely. Oh, you're breaking geez. up. Jeez, man. Okay, your phones are going out over there or something. I know. Huh? No, because um, everybody else has power. Everybody else can talk. Yeah, I was just wondering what happened, man, because I saw you tried to call back and trying to touch base with I you. tried to call back from like 7.05 to like 7... whatever, 45. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, they fucked up my phone, man. Yeah. There's that New Jersey's finest, huh? <laughs> well... Either that, the power is down the street from me, um, just if I should. Here, yeah. Hot as hell here in the South, man. I, want, I, I just wanted to, like, have fun. I wanted to really fuck with the fucking scumbags that ruin our movement, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, you know, there's nothing like bashing some of these imposter CIs want to claim Aryan nations, and they were in, like, junior high when Butler died, you know? No, 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 no. I'm thinking the senior ranks. <laughs> well, you, I got I to... No, tell. I'm thinking all across the board. Do we owe these motherfuckers anything? No. Oh, I owe these... No. Did, I'm just curious, between the Eli James and, say, Wickstrom, what have they taught you besides, like, um, stay, away from, stay away from white power? Yeah, pretty much. That's the extent of it. Yeah, don't, you know, don't you got, follow the Browns. It's probably better off we didn't have our show tonight. Say what? It's probably better off we didn't have our show tonight. Who didn't show? It's probably better off we did not have our show tonight. Oh, yeah. Me and you. Yeah, sure. Sure. Well, um, I totally, I just preached on angels. It was a pretty generic sermon, so I was able to struggle through. And I'm so, dude, you have no idea. I tried calling from 7, 6.57. I tried calling straight through. Oh, I believe they you. Shut the phone. My wife cannot call me. Her mother's phone was shut off. Oh, wow. Yeah, or Damn. Yeah. No, I you figured you'd call in. I, I was like, yeah, I didn't know exactly what. No, I'm so pissed off at this. That's why they're letting us talk, you know? Yeah. Well, talk shoe sometimes isn't very valuable. I mean, it's not really reliable either. It'll crash all the time. 
if you do something better, you end up like Al Turner in jail. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, I actually I was looking at his website the other day, and he's planning on coming back to the airwaves. I will. I will put a show on his network. Why not? Right? It worked before. I mean, hundred thousand listeners, wasn't it, or one hundred eighty-two thousand? I think. No, what on nine? One oh nine. Okay. I texted you that drunk. <laughs> well, dang! I mean, New Jersey. You do not understand when he threatened those federal judges. What? What judges? Oh, on how? Yeah. No, you don't. He was. Who were his connections? He claimed they were some fed, some. Oh bullshit, motherfucker! They fuck. Oh god. Okay. Well, I don't know. I just go by what I, I read on the news reports. I do, seen, I do he, believe. Yeah. No, it seemed like how it was like. He's like, oh, I used to be a fed. Then the fed. I was the one accused being his right hand man. That would hunt down the federal judges. Juniors? Yeah, sure. So when Lindsay started accusing me of being fed, yeah. Hey, did you know to this day he still accuses us of trying to steal his church? I don't remember that ever happening to you. I would want his church. <laughs> But that guy, yeah, he, he goes on and on. He makes up all sorts of stuff. He, to this day, is saying that this interview would never take place. Oh, you must have dropped off again, Pastor Faber. I can't hear. Looks like you're still connected, but I can't hear. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, There I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.